Lord, we thank you for this great news. Jesus, that you accurately and rightly uttered the words, it is finished. And Lord, we thank you that you did not wait very long to raise from the dead. It didn't take you very long. Death didn't ever really have that firm of a grasp on you. The grave didn't really ever come close to victory over you. But Lord, that you rose immediately, three days later, so that we could have the confidence that our redemption is secure, that our new life in Christ starts at the moment of repentance and placing our faith in you. And that truly death has no sting and the grave no victory. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us now as we turn to your word and look this Easter morning at the finished work of Christ. And it's in his wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen. Believe it or not, it was very common for me as a child to be told to clean my room. Those who see my office and see my desk will find this very hard to believe. Um, I was told with great regularity, clean your room. You cannot go outside till your room is clean. You cannot go out with your friends till your room is clean. You need to get this done. So I would go to my room and see, I had a unique ability as a child to have all my toys and clothes out at the same time and still manage to be able to walk. Uh, it was, I think it was an underappreciated gift, uh, but my parents viewed it otherwise. And so they would send me to my room to clean. And most of that time I was in my room, it was a whole day affair because most of that time I was perfecting military strategies with G.I. Joes and Transformers and whatever Lego creation I had most recently developed. Uh, then inevitably, after delaying the actual work of cleaning my room for an exceedingly long amount of time, I would rush the work. And instead of actually cleaning, I think you guys know where this is going, I would just cover the mess. I would, um, oh, that blanket is conveniently draped over that stuff. No, you know, don't mind the lumps underneath the blanket. It would shove everything under the bed, in the closet, behind the door, so that when the door is opened, you don't see it. It's pretty clever stuff. Um, rarely, but occasionally, it would work somewhat that my parents would think I had cleaned that, or they just got tired of fighting me on it. But for the most part, uh, my attempt at covering my mess was... Um, was exposed, and the, the fact that no cleaning had actually occurred was still a problem. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at, through the lens of Hebrews, what it means that Jesus was able to accurately and precisely and rightly say, it is finished. One specific aspect that we've looked at with that through Hebrews, that Hebrews brings up over and over again, is that the, the, Jesus' fulfillment of the first covenant, that the first covenant had all these sacrifices that as we, as we talked about Friday night, were able to cleanse the flesh, but could never actually take away sin. They could never remove sin. And what we see in Old Testament atonement is the sacrifice would cover the sin, and God in his mercy would look at the sacrifice covering the sin, and he would pardon it, knowing that one day Christ 
would die for all of that sin in total. We have that in today's passage in Hebrews 12. We're not going to read the whole in Hebrews 10. Uh, Just right now looking at only verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. So Christ on the cross offered for all time this one sacrifice. And up to that point, the sacrifices done in faith, done properly in faith, would, would provide a covering for the sin so that God would look past it, really God ultimately looking to the cross. And Jesus comes, dying on the cross, being risen again, so that no more sacrifices ever have to be offered, and so that sins are not just covered, but they are, as Hebrews 9 says, that they are put away. Or in other places, Hebrews put, and where today's text is going to say, they are forgiven and forgotten. They are removed from us. But back to the cleaning analogy. I've, I've thankfully, in my uh, 41 years of life, learned what it actually means to clean. If you come to my house, you won't find uh, just tons of stuff shoved under couches and beds. At least my stuff. There might be other stuff from other members of the family shoved under there. Um, but you'll find that things are actually cleaned, vacuumed, scrubbed, wiped down, whatever is required. But imagine that you were later today going to someone's house who, who actually never learned to properly clean. That the, their entire time as an adult in their house, they've just literally been sweeping under the rug. Uh, they, they, if they do vacuum, they don't actually empty the vacuum canister, so it's just kind of like churning the carpet more than actually sucking stuff out of it. Uh, that they uh, don't really wipe stuff down, they just shove it to where they think no one will see it. It would obviously take you very little time in that house before you were um, ready to leave. And for the sake of the breakfast we're about to have, I'm not going to go into too many details about what that would be like. But how often do we try to clean out our hearts the way that Kid Chuck tried to clean out his room? Now, I'm not worried about you in this room running off to the local livestock barn trying to find the right sheep or bull for your sin. I'm not worried about you guys going goat shopping later today for your sins. Where I think we're prone to do is to manufacture our own penance for our sin. I did something wrong, so I need to work it off. I screwed up Now it's completely on me to make it right. That's the trap I think we fall into. And really when we're doing that, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus wasn't enough, I need to do a little bit myself. You don't need to worry about God punishing you for your sin. You don't need to worry about doing more work to earn your forgiveness because Jesus did it all. He paid it all. And the extraordinary good news about Easter is that Jesus died and was raised. The resurrection points not only to the victory and the hope that we have in a, in a future resurrection and a second coming of Christ, but that God approved of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we can stop our man-centered methods of self-improvement and trust Jesus to change us, we can stop 
our exhausting track of masking and covering our own sin and let it be forgiven because God has approved of the sacrifice of Jesus and your sin can be forgiven and removed. And that is excellent news. And so let's read the text. Starting in verse 1, reading the, the first chunk here of Hebrews 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered, every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But... In these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You neither desired nor, take, or, nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single offering, Sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Whereas there, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer offering for sin. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this amazing? We who sin repeatedly and still sin often, can be viewed by God as holy because he has accepted this once and for all sacrifice of Christ through which we can draw near to God. And so the God-approved finished work of Jesus means, first of all, that the shadow is gone. He, he brings up again here the author, the shadow of the law, instead of the good things to come. And the shadow has limitations. The shadow pales in comparison to that which is casting the shadow. We talked about this last week, and I, I said, and I'll say it again, no, no husband in the world would describe the beauty of his wife by looking at her shadow on the sidewalk. Look how plain in one color it is, and it just goes on forever. 
No one's going to do that. And so we don't look at the shadow, we look at the substance, and that's Christ. And he points out what the shadow can never do. It, it cannot make perfect. It never, by the same sacrifices continually offered, makes perfect those who draw near. It never makes perfect. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But here's the thing. The problem is that these cannots, these nevers, these impossibilities are our must-haves. And not from a consumeristic standpoint. These are our must-haves from a spiritual life standpoint. We must have perfection. We must have sinlessness if we were ever to walk with God. We have to be perfect and sinless to walk with the Lord, to actually draw near. And the good news that Hebrews lays out in setting this up is that we have that ability to become perfect and sinless through Christ, through the once sacrificed, fully resurrected Son of God. The God-approved finished work of Jesus means that the shadow is gone, and it means, and this is the chunk and the bulk of the text, that there are no more sacrifices to make. There are no more sacrifices coming. One thing we know from this section, and this section makes it very clear, is that God does not have some sort of weird bloodlust. God isn't in heaven thinking, oh man, I hope something else dies and its blood can get poured out. God's not creepy. He's good. God does not have this weird obsession with blood. In fact, the text says that he, he just, he doesn't delight in it. What God does have is a proper understanding of the seriousness of sin. And what we often lack is a proper understanding of the seriousness of God's holiness. God has a proper understanding of sin. We lack a proper understanding of his majestic holiness. Jesus, knowing both the seriousness of sin and the holiness of God, comes into the world. And he does so quoting Psalm 40. Sacrifices you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. Jesus knows the heart of God towards sacrifice. That the whole point of the law isn't to kill a bunch of animals. The whole point of the law isn't to raise up all the smoke from the altar. The point of the law is to make it so sinful people can walk with a holy God. God didn't desire the sacrifices. He desired the relationship. I will be their God and they will be my people. Is this refrain, this chorus that rings out from the Old Testament and into the New Testament and, and finds its final repeating at the end of Revelation. Jesus knows God's heart and so he offers one sacrifice to put an end to all sacrifices. You don't desire the sacrifices but you prepared a body for me that will be the last and final sacrifice. 
Jesus knows that the purpose of this body he was born into that we just celebrated a few months ago at Christmas, the purpose of this body was to be hung on a cross. He was given this purpose, he was given this body so that nails could be driven into it. The psalmist you know, the, the New Testament, sometimes the New Testament apostles will, will change the wording a little bit of the, of the Old Testament original text. And in Psalm 40, it actually says, you've given me an ear. You've dug out an ear for me. Meaning that Jesus came with an ear, completely hearing the will of God, completely submissive to the will of God. And in this case, it was a body to be tortured and killed and raised again on the third day. It is an extraordinary amount of humility and submission that we see from Christ. And I wonder if we were to view our bodies in the same way. Lord, you have given me this body to do your will. What that would look like for us. Sometimes we want to make that specific, like, what's the point of my body? And, you know, my chiropractor, the point of his body is to straighten out a crooked pastor. But for, for the rest of us, what's the point of our bodies? And this is where I encourage us to think broadly. You were made for holiness. You were made to make the love of God known. Would you give yourself to those things? Would you give your body to holiness? Would you give your mind and your strength and your purpose to extending the love of God to whoever's around you at the time? So Jesus makes a big deal of the body and then he makes a big deal of the will of God. I have come to do your will, O God. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The will of God here is simple. It is the new covenant that he would be our God, that we would be his people. And to do that, his will is that our sin would be removed from us so that we can walk with him. His will is that we would be his people doing his work, honoring his name, enjoying his goodness, delighting in all that he has to offer, being fully satisfied in him as our God with no desire or need to look for any other. I recommend that as we look at this will of God with the new covenant that our sins would be removed, that we would be his people, that we would not look at this in kind of a clinical or academic or anything distant, but that we would think of the redeeming work of God through Christ and his will for salvation as being not at arm's length, but deeply personalized. God has given you a promise. Actually, to be more specific, he's given you a whole bunch of promises. But one promise we'll look at today is that because of Christ dying on the cross, I almost pointed to the wrong side, because of Christ dying on the cross, your sins can be forgiven. That if you confess your sins, that he is faithful and just 
to forgive you and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. That you can be born again. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that you can be saved. So He's given you a whole bunch of promises that He'll never leave you, that Jesus is coming back, that He's sending His Holy Spirit, that God has made a way for your sins to be removed, that God has sent Jesus to die on the cross, and through His one all-time sacrifice, you can become a child of God, and that God's will is to make you holy. So that you can look at yourself and say, because of Jesus, I have been made into a holy child of God. And for some of us, that's a tough pill to swallow. And I would challenge you or, or, or encourage you that if that's a tough pill for you to swallow, that you look more and more at who Christ is and what He's done and what God is capable of and less at making a whole lot of a big deal of your own sin. If God can part the waters of the Red Sea, if God can speak light into existence, then surely He can save you and make you holy. And this is what He does. He perfects us through the offering and reign of Christ. The once for all reign. That Jesus knew God's heart on sacrifices. So in offering Himself, He made this perfect, ultimate sacrifice to end them all and to do what they could not do. Verse 10. And by that will, the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 12 through 14. But Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Then He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time for His footstools to be for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. There's two claims here made about you. One is that you've been made holy, believer. You've been made holy through the work of Christ. That God would look at you, he sees Christ's sacrifice, and he says, that's my holy child. They are already sanctified. They are already holy. And then there's this other thing that's true of you, that you are being made holy. You are being sanctified even though you've been perfected for all time. Another way of putting that is that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it out to completion. This is the daily grind of walking with Christ. And sometimes it feels just like that. And other times it feels pretty glorious. But this is the regular ongoing confession of sin. Reading your Bible, getting the word in your heart and mind, as we'll talk about in a minute. Confessing your sin, living out the one another's doing God's work around you, which is sometimes building up the body and is sometimes going to those who don't know Jesus yet and saying, Jesus died on the cross and the third day he was raised so that you could have new life, so that you could become a child of God, so that you can be made holy for all time. 
getting the exceedingly good news about Jesus out there for everyone to see. There are no more sacrifices to make because this one did it all. Jesus offered his body, accomplishing the will of God and making us holy. This God-approved, finished work of Jesus means that we can now walk with God. And he does this through the Holy Spirit who comes in as our helper to convict us of sin, to lead us to truth, to tell us of the, the return of Christ, to gift us for ministry. And here's what the Holy Spirit says. This is the covenant I will make with them. On those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to change these people. There's so many of you here this morning who have experienced this change. That the Holy Spirit would change you. He would bring God's word and take it from something that is far off and away from us that we don't understand and, and make it internal. Weave it into our being. Change our spiritual DNA, so to speak. And it's the process that we just talked about that you've been made holy and you're being made holy and then this walk with God happens through forgiveness. I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The forgiveness offered to you by the Lord is full and complete. Stop trying to clean out your own life. Stop trying to do more than Jesus already did. Stop exhausting yourself and burning yourself out. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, it is finished. There's absolutely nothing you can do to add to that. Let us not think so highly of ourselves that we feel like we can add to the work of Christ. It is finished. Do you get that? The, the, all this guilt that we heap up on ourselves. All this hurt that we just drive in. I've screwed up, I've screwed up, I've screwed up. Jesus finished it. When you came to Christ, you believer, when you came to Christ, your sin was wiped away and forgotten. And God the Father looked at Christ and looked at you and said, I'm not going to remember what she did anymore. I'm not going to remember what he did anymore. I'm going to look at them as a righteous, holy child that I've adopted them to be and that I'm fashioning them into. We don't need to worry about cleaning out our own clutter. We just need to confess it to the Lord. If you're visiting here this morning, or maybe you've been visiting for a little while, and um, maybe you just came here because 
it just feels right to be in church on Easter. I agree with that. And some of this just sounds new to you, and you think, boy, I don't know if that applies to me. I'm going to let you know, there's a whole lot of what I've talked about that applies to the children of God only. It's only for his adopted children, the eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the being made holy. The good news is, if you're here this morning and you think, boy, I don't know that I'm born again. I don't know that I'm a child of God. I don't know that I've been made holy. I don't know that my sins have been forgiven. The good news is they can be today, right now. If you would, in your heart, pray to the Lord. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. And if you feel the need to be specific about some of that, then be specific about some of that. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask for the new life that only he can give. Draw the line in the sand today that says, Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm going to quit trying to do it on my own. Jesus is Lord. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be subject to him, obedient to him. And then join us. Let us help you walk with Jesus. As the praise team comes up, let's pray. Father, there have been so many times I can think of in my life where I've tried to self-medicate my own sin. And Lord, I thank you that all the energy I've spent on that has been completely unnecessary and really wasted because Jesus finished it. No more sacrifice needs to be offered. I can look back to the cross and the empty tomb and know that that work is finished. And so, Lord, help us to live joyfully in that finished work of Christ. Lord, forgive us our sins. Continue to make us holy. Remove from us that which does not please you. And Lord, help us to extend your glory and your love and your fame to all around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.